The Kindness Podcast is made possible by Cornwell Properties in Athens, Ohio. Cornwell Properties offers Ohio University students the best locations to live in Athens. All of their apartments are either on Court Street or within one block. Cornwell Properties. Location matters. Visit their website, cornwellpropertiesathens.com, for more information. Welcome to the Kindness Podcast. I'm Nicole Phillips. Known as America's leading midlife dating and relationship coach, Jonathan Asley is a defender and protector of women's hearts around the world. He helps women transform from attracting Mr. Wrong into finding their Mr. Right. But Jonathan's advice isn't just for the singles. His book, What the Heck is Self-Love Anyway?, makes the case that kindness to ourselves is imperative to our health and well-being. So I think that women either know someone who makes questionable decisions when choosing a partner, or we are that person who just gets stuck in that rut of like the dating the the bad guy, you know, sort of thing. Not that one partner is the bad person in a relationship, you know, it takes two, but I'm wondering, are men the same way or is that a woman thing? You know, it's interesting. Um, I was recently at a personal development workshop about connecting with one's heart. And there was, there was 36 people, 22 women and 16, no, 14 men. So, I mean, I would say 60, 40 balance. So it wasn't quite 50, 50, but it wasn't like 90, 10. And there was an interesting common denominator with both men and women. And at least that's the way I interpreted by witnessing. And this was kind of a group workshop kind of thing. I, 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 am almost going to say group therapy, but it's not therapy. Uh, but it feels like that at times. And the common denominator was most every, it seemed like almost everyone in the room, their, their main thing was about feeling safe on the inside. And and why I'm sharing this is because I could say there's a difference between men and women. Um, but what I, there was like this really one common denominator when it got down to it. So I, I, I know that's kind of easy to pigeonhole men and women are different, you know, in the way they communicate or, you know, maybe the way their brain is wired and whatnot. But the core I found within both men and women was this desire to feel safe on the inside. And, I feel as though that that's where much of the disconnect comes in relationship as an inner feeling of safety. So that's confusing to me because I feel like I, I totally agree that, right. We, we have this regardless of whether you're a male or female, this need to, to feel safe, but why then do we ourselves or we have friends who choose people who don't make us feel safe? You know what? I, this is the way I actually believe it. We choose people that we don't feel safe with so we can learn how to become safe within ourselves. It's almost, it seems counterintuitive, but I'm saying on a soul or spiritual level, we might continually choose, for lack of a better word, let's call it the wrong person, as a way to help us become safe within ourselves because, and, and I'm not saying this as an absolute, I don't believe anyone becomes fully enlightened and, you know, it's like, and they you know, their self-love is their cup is fully running over kind of thing. 
you know, so I'm, it's not like you ever reach a level of a epiphany, if you will. Mm-hmm. However, when we've, when we've experienced enough of say the wrong person, it's allowing us to love ourselves so much that we begin to start to attract a person that we do feel safe with, that we, that is emotionally available, that is communicative because we're doing it from the inside out. So the people we choose subconsciously end up being um, people that we know will help us to grow. That's the way I interpret it. I mean, everyone has a different perspective on this. This is just the perspective I choose to see because it's easy. And by the way, there is an element of um, childhood patterning that we might have. I mean, there's definitely work that we can look at is where, how is this, if we're choosing a certain type of partner that doesn't feel good for us in the long run, we might look back and say, well, that's a pattern that happened in our childhood. Okay. And that's oftentimes the case. We choose people that kind of are familiar to us because it was the way we were raised. Um, not always, but I would say that's the majority of the time. So I look at seeing this as lessons rather than oftentimes putting the blame on the other person, which is what, what I see consistently that's happening. Instead of looking at the lesson, they look at the pain and point the finger without looking inside. Wow. So, okay. That's the heart of kindness right there is, you know, you, <laughs> you see people yeah. who are divorced and, you know, I, I say one of the greatest things my parents as divorced parents did for me was they did a really good job of not cr- criticizing the other one, uh, in yeah. front of me at least. And man, the, the hate and negativity that comes through people who once loved someone and now don't love that person is, it's crazy. So if we are that person that's holding that much bitterness toward an ex, where do we find kindness in the midst of that? You know, it's interesting. As I shared a moment ago about this workshop I was in, a number of people, like their first day, they're sharing how they're frustrated or, you know, like blaming their ex-partner. I mean, this was, you know, there was a lot of this in, you know, when people were doing their personal shares. And at the last day, this one person got up and said, I, they were saying how they recognized their pattern was to blame always their past partners. And they thought to themselves, I wonder if my partner, my that person I'm blaming was sitting in this workshop for five days. And they started to go, gosh, if I got to see the, from my partner's, you know, my ex-partner's point of view and to hear maybe the pain or suffering or inner turmoil, or maybe that they're not feeling safe, if they were here, how would I look at this differently? And what the person said was, and this so piggybacks on what you just said, I would be so much more compassionate to their experience which isn't compassion is really another way of saying kindness. Right. And at least in my world, it would be more empathetic and not necessarily to absolve anyone of maybe some bad behavior or something. It's not like that. It's, but letting go of the blame that comes the most compassionate thing. I think a person can do to themselves and the most kindest thing, a thing a person can do for themselves is letting go of blame for an ex-partner or, or, and it could be anyone in your life, you know, it could be a, a, it could be a sibling. It could be a parent. It doesn't absolve someone of what they did, 
but you can let go of blame. And that's the kindest thing we can do within ourselves, I believe. One of the kindest things, excuse me, not the kindest thing. You have this new book called What the Heck is Self-Love Anyway? And I'm yeah. wondering, do you have, um, is that, is it from that point that you wrote this book? Well, this book was birthed, I'll be candid with you, this book was birthed for two reasons. First, um, I was starting to write about self-love on my professional, you know, in a professional capacity. And um, two months before I began writing this, I lost my 19-year-old son. Mm-hmm. And, and I recognized that, oh, <laughs> a little so, bit hard to say. I'm so uh, sorry, Jonathan. That's what... Yeah, that's what needs to be said. I, no, I'm at, I'm at peace with it. This was over 14, 15 months ago. So I'm in a full place of acceptance. But at that time, I was really, I was actually experiencing an interesting way to approach grief. And I, I chose to choose, I chose grieving with love. That was what the message, I felt this strong message when I was giving his eulogy. It's like, how can I grieve with love? And I was feeling into this and it was more, how can I love myself was starting to really bubble up. And I was, I was thinking about it. You know, I was writing about it from a professional standpoint as a dating and relationship coach, but how can I love myself? And so I began writing about this and within nine months I birthed the book what the heck is self-love anyway? Because I was like thinking to myself, I hear the word self-love all the time. Everyone talks about, you know, or, or something along those lines, but it, it can be a turnoff. The, the term can be a turnoff to people. And I realized, well, self-love is self-worth, self-confidence, self-reliance, self-esteem. It's, it's the word love just encapsulates what is oftentimes missing on the inside. And so I, I'm very proud of this accomplishment. And my son is weaved in throughout the book a little bit, and it's in his honor um, because he taught me one of the most important lessons. And and it's one of the chapters. And if I, can I have permission to curse for a second? (laughs) Yes. Okay. So all the parents driving in the car, just mute us for like good five seconds and then come back. Go. (laughs) So one of the, one of the chapters is don't let anyone fuck with your chi. And, (laughs) and I, and, what was interesting about my son and his name is Connor um, was he had this way of like, people might not like him or they might criticize him or judge him. And he just never let it affect him. Yep. Now I'm not going to say he didn't care because I I don't like that term care, but he had this um, interesting ability not to let things affect him. He almost had this sense of neutrality And as I looked at it, it was kind of like he found a way to love himself whenever there was negativity or judgment or things going on, you know, resentment, guilt, all these comparisons, all these things. And so I felt like as in reflecting on it, one of the kindest things he ever did to himself was kind of love himself and others in, in this kind of neutral, I call it, I say neutrality, but just in a very calm, non-attachment to an outcome way. Mm-hmm. I can see that the non-attachment to the outcome that you're not going to yeah. worry about what other people are. And that's harder to do than to say, you know? Yeah, it takes a, it, and I'm going to say this one takes a lot of practice. Now he inherently had this gift 
And for most of us, or at least I can only speak for myself now, I've had enough experiences in my life that I've either been reactionary and defensive and go into pointing the finger. So one of the kindest things I did to myself was to say, okay, let me have compassion for someone else's experience and, and then say to myself, how can I be detached, not detached from people, but just detached from an outcome. Mm -hmm. And that's actually one of the most loving kindest things I can do for myself. And it seems like a lot of people try to put the horse before the cart, meaning they are feeling um, kind of an emptiness or a hole somewhere. And they feel like, well, when I meet my soulmate, when I meet my perfect person, then that hole will be filled. But it really goes the opposite, doesn't it? That you need to get to a place of wellness before you're able to create that relationship you want. Would you agree with that or not? Absolutely. Thank you for bringing that up. And, and, and I want to say something into that because it's, I, I'm going to think of a cup for a second. You know, I believe if our cup is relatively empty, we need to fill that cup with someone else to validate ourselves, to feel safe because it's coming from an outside source. Then there's probably going to be a pattern of experiencing the opposite until that cup reaches a tipping point, that tipping point, not overflowing. I prefer to think of it as once you get a little past the halfway point of filling this cup up with self-love, just when you reach a halfway point, it begins to shift that the need won't need to come from somewhere else. And so, because I truly believe, you know, I'm sure you've heard, you know, you can't love your, you can't love another until you love yourself. And it love comes from the overflow of your cup. Well, I think that's, I mean, that metaphor sounds great and it sounds cool. I think it's impossible to achieve. Right. When do any of us get to that point? Well, my cup is so overflowing because I'm so healthy. Now I can start. None of us would be in relationships. (laughs) So it's like, I rather think of it, just put a, just start filling your cup in as much as you can. And by the time you reach past the halfway point, you're going to shift and you'll be able to notice when maybe you're making choices that aren't best for you, you'll begin to notice that when a person might be emotionally unavailable, you'll begin to notice these things. And then it becomes exponentially. The cup begins to fill much faster, much faster, much faster. So I can, go on, sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 no. no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I I come from a a spot of, of when you are kind to others, then your cup becomes full so what do you suggest for people to, to, to fill up their cups like that, if we're talking in the terms of getting healthy with self-love? Well, can I say buy my book, What the Heck is Self-Love Anyway? Yes, you can. If the uh, answers are all in the, there, absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, and, and for those listening, I, I mean, I'm sorry for making a cheesy pitch, but, it, what, why this is, but why I did that or is that I recognize that I had reached, prior to my son's passing away, I reached low, a really low point in my life 10 years prior. I, was, I, had a, I, I wasn't in this profession. I was uh, in the insurance business. I was making a quarter million dollars a year. And all of a sudden, I got a divorce, lost my quarter million dollar a year job, and then the stock market crashed, and I lost a seven-figure you know, oh. net worth. Yikes. And I reached the lowest point in my life. And that's when I began personal development, self-help, spirituality. Mm. 
Mm. And I don't mean religious when I say spirituality. And I began a daily practice of studying and reading books and, and watching videos and attending workshops. So by the time my son passed away, and I'm sure anyone listening would think, oh my God, that's the worst thing I could ever experience in my life. If you're a parent, and I'm sure even people that aren't parents can empathize with that experience. It was like all of the work I did prior, which was just loving myself, if you will, even though it's wrapped in personal development, self-help, spirituality, was like a vaccination for this impending chaos. And and so I, I end the book with the idea that begin a daily practice. And, and, and a lot of people think of self-care. And there's a misconception about self-care. I'm all for, you know, getting massages, getting your nails done, <laughs> doing things that feel good to oneself, okay, from a self-care perspective. What I'm talking about is really that self-care within your, your heart. And it's learning how to navigate our thoughts, And this takes practice no different than, you know, working out at the gym and and lifting weights. You know, it starts off, it might be painful at first. Um, But after a while, once you begin a routine, you want to then maintain that. Mm -hmm. And so I'm a big believer of personal development, self-help, spirituality as the way to fill one's cup up. Great. And to do it ahead of time, to not to not wait for the catastrophe to strike before you decide to get healthy. Yeah, it's kind of like I've, I've been watching this TV show on, on uh, Showtime called Couples Therapy, and, and Showtime just got a free plug. Uh, <laughs> but what's fascinating is couples go into therapy when it's literally, it's at the brink of their relationship to explode. And it's so much harder to dig yourself out of this grand Canyon of pain. Imagine if one began for lack of a better word, I'm not using the word therapy, but they began a practice, especially as couples to work together, to achieve better communication. When you're in the high of dating, when you're in the high of the first, when you're in the relationship, when you're in the high of getting married, Rather than expecting that high is going to carry you for the lows, begin a practice of learning how to communicate with one another in that, you know, during that period. So when something happens, you're able to navigate it much better. Excellent advice. Excellent advice. Jonathan, before I let you go, do you have a favorite story of kindness, something maybe um, you did for someone that that just felt awesome or... um, something, you know, a time when kindness showed up just when you needed it. Do you have any stories like that to share with us today? You know, well, can I share two quick stories? Yes, I I always like a bonus story. You bet. Okay, so the the story that came to mind isn't this one, but I want to share when my son passed away and I made it public, um, you know, through my social media uh, outlets, the amount of love that came my way was just the most beautiful thing, the amount of care and kindness and love. And, and I'll be candid. I felt a little sad that I had to take such a catastrophe for uh, love to come into my life in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm not, and I'm just saying, it's just the awareness that, 
you know, we're human beings and oftentimes we're, we might be focused on the negative in person's life. And it, why does it have to take a catastrophe to someone happen? The, the, that compassion and kindness becomes the norm. Um, but the experience that came to mind first, and this is the one that I want to share, um, is that I'll, I'll never forget. This one so stands out in my mind. I was, uh, doing, I was going to Starbucks in one of those drive-through um, places. Um, not every Starbucks has them. And when I got to my window, I ordered a latte. And, you know, I mean, it's like, I mean, it was like a $6 latte, you know, after all is said and done. And when I went to go pay for it, um, the, the cashier said, the car in front of you got your coffee. Mm. And, God, it almost makes me tear up right now. I... I couldn't believe that. What a sweet, loving gesture to do that. And, and I'll, I'll be candid with you. I, I, I left, I mean, I was so stoked on such a high that, I mean, for the next couple, like the next two or three weeks, I was like trying to find ways to do that exact same thing for someone else. And, and I, it probably came from a tiny little bit of guilt, but and I'm, I'm owning that, but it was, in that I was trying too hard, you know, I was, I, it, and then I just relaxed into it. And then uh, like a few weeks later I was at one and I just did the exact same thing for the car behind me. Uh-huh. Um, and both it was uh, this ability to give and receive. And I think one of the kindest things that we can do to ourselves is learning how to receive kindness from others. Because at first I, I mean, even though I, kind of was, I was literally in shock. I almost, that's where that guilt came from is I have to go do something. And then I just sat with the feeling of kindness and go, ah, let me receive this. Yes. And then it was easy to do it for someone else. Yes. Yes. To fully receive it, fully feel it. I've, I've seen people who have been given a, a gift certificate or something, and then they just want to turn around and use it to buy, you know, food for the for the food pantry, which is great. That's, that's great. But to be able to relax and enjoy it and just accept it as a gift and, and use it on yourself. You know what? Like feel it, totally feel it. I love it. Yeah. And I appreciate that you would share that story from your perspective, because I have a lot of listeners who do that. They pay for the person behind them on a regular basis. And I think that sometimes when we do that, we forget that it's a real live person with real live feelings who's going to be accepting that gift from you yeah. and that it matters. It matters. Right? Wow. You know what? I didn't have that. Oh, now that you just share that, I wasn't thinking it from that perspective. Thank you so much. Cause you're right. You know, I, because I was, when I, you know, there's this element, you're so focused on the giving. It's like, hey, what about how they're receiving it? <laughs> right. And we may never know, but we can feel the joy of what we anticipate they might be thinking or feeling. Exactly. Jonathan, thank you so much for talking with me today. This was awesome. And we'll give people all the information they need to find you so that they can uh, learn more about what you're doing. Well, thank you so much. And can I just give you a big, gigantic Jonathan Bear hug virtually right now? Oh, I love it. I feel it. I feel it. I give it Mm. to all the listeners as well. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Thank you. That was a conversation with midlife dating coach Jonathan Asley. Learn more about his work and his advice at jonathanasley.com. 
That was a conversation with midlife dating coach Jonathan Asley. Learn more about his work and his advice at jonathanasley.com. That's J-O-N-A-T-H-O-N-A-S-L-A-Y.com. Thanks for listening to The Kindness Podcast. It's produced by WOUB Public Media and relies heavily on the kindness of engineer Adam Rich. I'm Nicole Phillips. We hope you'll subscribe to The Kindness Podcast wherever you listen and find us on social media at Kindness Podcast. If you like the show, please spread some kindness in the review section.